This is the premier podcast for late model dirt track racing. This is Forward Bite, hosted by superfan and actual know-it-all Kyle Armstrong on the Speed Sport Podcast Network. Welcome back to another edition of the Forward Bite Podcast with Kyle Armstrong. This week, we're going to talk to Clay Knight and do a little bit of a history lesson there at the end, so stay tuned for that. This is episode number 24, I believe, and we, uh, we've, we've got a good one for you today, so stay tuned. Another busy weekend of dirt late model action across the USA as the Lucas Oil Late Model Dirt Series and Morton Building's World of Outlaw Late Model Series were both in action for the first time simultaneously in 2001. At Boone Speedway in Boone, Iowa, it was all Cade Dillard and Shannon Babb sharing victories in the preliminary action on Friday night as the Morton Building's World of Outlaw series made its series debut at the famous short track. Saturday night saw Bobby Pierce dominate in the late stages and go to victory lane to pick up the $30,000 payday in the inaugural Hawkeye 100 at Boone Speedway. Lucas Oil Late Model Dirt Series was in action on Friday night at Ponderosa Speedway in Junction, Junction City, Kentucky, where Tim McCready led all but the last lap when Jonathan Davenport passed him coming out of turn four to take the checkered flag and win the $12,000 to win show at Ponderosa. Saturday night, Lucas Oil was in action at Florence Speedway for the Ralph Latham Memorial. It was a thriller of a show, multiple lead changes, including a slider fest between Hudson O'Neill and Josh Rice with Josh Rice taking the lead and pulling away to earn his biggest win of his career and his first career Lucas Oil Late Model Dirt Series win, paying 15000 to win. We talked to Josh on episode number 19 of the podcast about what it would mean to win a race like this, and he pulled it off this weekend. So congratulations to Josh Rice and that entire Rice racing team. In regional dirt late model action, Dale McDowell picked up the 4,053 to win Spring Nationals event at Crossville Speedway in Crossville, Tennessee on Friday night, April 30th, and Zach Mitchell picked up the ultimate series victory at Lawrence County Speedway on Friday night, Lawrence, South Carolina. Tanner English picked up the $10,053 to win payday at Clarksville Speedway in Clarksville, Tennessee for the Spring Nationals event on Saturday night, May 1st. Other weekend winners included Peyton Freeman and the Southern All-Stars at Clay Hill Speedway in Atwood, Tennessee. Pearson Lee Williams picked up a $3,000 crate win at Swainsboro Raceway in Georgia. Rick Eckert picked up a $3,000 super late model payday at Port Royal Speedway. And there were just too many other regional events to list that happened over the weekend. It was a really, really, really busy weekend of racing. A lot of good weather all over the country. Saturday night, I ventured down to Lancaster Speedway, and that was where the ultimate super late models were in action. Clay Knight picked up his first career super late model win, and it paid 4000 to win. Clay Knight will join the podcast here on the other side of the break. But Clay inherited the lead after Zach Mitchell's engine expired at the halfway point. Clay held off last week's podcast guest, Ben Watkins, who finished second, and Jeff Smith rounded out the top three. I'd like to thank the Swankyville bunch down at Lancaster Speedway. You know, we talked about them last week on the show. I had Lenny Baticki on here, and and uh, we met, we got to talking about Swankyville. Well, we went down there, and those guys were just super friendly. Gave me a T-shirt, invited me up on top of their up on top of their tower. Um, you know, I was telling some people during the week that they had a school bus. They used to have a school bus, and they said they haven't really had that thing at the track in a couple of years. Now they've just got a big tower and a platform where they stand on the back stretch. Those guys are 
really cool and uh i know they're i know they're going to listen to the show and uh man I, I appreciate you guys for your hospitality and uh, we will be back uh down there to hang out with you guys again on another weekend for sure also like to thank uh phil combs for putting on the racers reunion that he had yesterday at his at his combs family museum up in shelby north carolina he had uh, quite a few big name celebrities in the house including jack pennington and Buddy Smith and Rex White, the 1960 NASCAR champion, and uh, just several more. Too many to list, really. Uh, Ronnie Sewell was there, David Smith, uh, many others. People had some old show cars. There was an old Preston Humphreys, uh, one of his old race cars, a Stick Elliott car, an old Charlie Blanton car, and several others. And a lot of people there, good turnout, a lot of neat stuff to look at. And it was uh, it was really a great afternoon. So thank you, Phil Combs, for putting that deal on. Thank you to Kelly Carlton for the hospitality taking care of us this weekend at the Ultimate Super Late Model Race. Man, we had a great time at that event. And last but not least, I'd like to give a good shout out there to Clint Elkins. I talked to Clint Elkins at the Phil Combs uh, show yesterday, and Clint mentioned that he really enjoys listening to the podcast. And Clint, I enjoyed uh, having you tell me that, man. You've, uh, you know, he was he was an impact on me at a, at a young age. Whenever I was uh, selling the racing newspapers, and whenever I kind of got my start, and you know, he uh, he gave me a few tips in life that I that I still live by today. And at the time, they were probably hard truths to hear. But Clint, man, that meant a lot to me to, that uh, that you listened to my show, and uh, I really do appreciate it. Well, we're going to take a quick break, and on the other side of the break, we're going to talk to Clay Knight and North Augusta, South Carolina and see what his thoughts are on the weekend and what he's got going on coming up. I think you'll enjoy this conversation. Joining us now on the Andy's Towing Hotline, it's going to be Clay Knight out of North Augusta, South Carolina. Clay Knight picked up a big win this weekend down at Lancaster Speedway in the Ultimate Super Late Model Series. And I don't know a whole lot about Clay. Uh, I've seen him race the last few years, watched him race. He's always had good-looking cars and everything. And and I thought, well, you know, he won this race, so I'll have him on the podcast, and i like to learn more about him. So, Clay, welcome to the podcast. What's going on today, man? Man, we've just been wide open, uh, getting everything cleaned up from the weekend. We actually ran two different cars this past weekend at Lawrence and uh, Lancaster, so uh, we had two of them to get cleaned up. And it's been a busy day and getting everything ready for this coming weekend. I hear you, man. Uh, so walk me through the weekend there. I guess talk about Lawrence first, and then we'll end on a, on a good note when you picked up that win at, uh, at Lancaster. So what happened uh, Friday night at Lawrence? Yeah, Lauren's Friday, uh, we actually had a really good car. Um, I think one thing that hurt some of us guys that qualified later in qualifying, uh, some of them guys were hitting that cushion and it kind of broke away and it wasn't there to lean on anymore. And so uh, when we went out there, there was nothing left there unless you kind of got in the wall some. And uh, so it kind of hurt us there going out real late and we qualified eighth and, uh, but in the feature there at the beginning of the race, we had a really good car, and I had to go, gotten up to fourth, and we had run some really good lap times. Actually, uh, I was the only one in the same same tenth as uh, Zach there, and uh, so I don't know if we we probably had a good second place car at least Friday night. But then uh, there was a wreck there. Somebody got into a lap car there, and uh, it got Ross and me involved too. We just had nowhere to go, and it tore up the nose on that car, and, and uh, we just kind of went in got it fixed and limped it to a seventh place finish i got you so so then uh, you moved over to lancaster speedway on saturday night uh walk us through that night you uh you were pretty fast and hot laps right from the beginning there 
I remember that. I mean, I was at Lancaster, so uh, so I, I can talk a little bit more about that one. I, I, I lived that one a little bit, so I was there. So, uh, so yeah, you had a good run in, in hot laps, qualified pretty decent, started toward the front, and uh, and you were there when it counted. So, uh, yeah, how'd that, how'd that, what'd you think about that night? Yeah, we were really good uh, Saturday all night long. Um, we just made the right adjustments with the racetrack all night. Uh, you know, we were, I think we were second or third in hot laps, and then we went out and qualified second and uh, was on the pole all the way till the end until Zach went out, and I think he beat me by three or four hundredths. And uh, so we started there on the front row with him. And uh, like I said, as the race got to going there, I was a little off at the beginning. And uh, as the race got to going, my car just got better and better. And I actually felt like I was starting to gain on him some. And I'd run him down actually from a little bit. And uh, Akasha come out. And then we got back to going. And I run him down again. And the second time I run him down is when, uh, unfortunately, his motor let go. And uh, it kind of inherited us the lead, but uh, we were good enough to hang on and, and pull away and, and go on to win. Now, earlier in the race, there was a restart there in the early laps whenever Zach Mitchell's car just didn't fire out of turn four. I can't remember if you were behind him or uh, or on the outside of him. What did you think about that restart? Uh, it was just kind of uh, us trying to see who was going to go first. You know, I mean, just kind of – I he could probably tell that I was – I knew that I was going to have a hard time beating him to one. And so I was trying to get ready to go. And, you know, they kind of warned me about jumping and that kind of deal. And, it, you know, it's just kind of a strategy thing, you know. And uh, I think he just trying to play it in his lap a little bit more. And uh, which uh, everything worked out. We ended up getting a good start after that. And I was able to get right in line behind him and, uh, and uh, fall in line in second to, you know, put myself in a good spot for what ended up happening yeah in a way you got a gift uh with him with him with his engine expiring there about the halfway point but like you said you were reeling him in i mean you uh it didn't all fall in your lap i mean you were uh you were picking up on him and running him down so i thought it was going to be a good race and uh, i think it would have been a lot more fun to watch had uh, had you guys got to actually race it out but yeah so good good I mean, congratulations on that win. You know, I've seen you uh, win a lot of races and create late models and stuff, and I was surprised when they said, and I didn't never, I just thought that maybe at some point you'd picked up a super late model win. I had no idea that that would have been your first uh, career win until I heard Blake Harris there, the series announcer, announce that in Victory Lane. So that was, so that was pretty cool. So what was it, uh, I guess, what does it feel like to actually finally get that first super late model win? man it's it's just so relieving you know and uh you know you guys you understand like you you know that super late model racing is is the highest form of racing you can do in in, in dirt racing you know and uh you know we race a lot of weekends with with jd and madden and overton and, and them guys are doing this for a living and and so um you know to to win one and you know there was some good competition there, you know, some of them guys may not have been there, but, uh, you know, it's, it's an accomplishment for us. You know, we're a small team, we're a family oriented team and, uh, we work real hard during the week and we work real hard on our racing stuff. And, uh, so to get one and everything line up and pay off, it just, it just makes it all worth it, you know? And, uh, it's just hard to put it into words. You know, I've dreamed since I was a kid of, of being good in racing and, and, and doing well you know and 
and it's you know you get down on yourself some of these weekends after having bad weekends or can't catch a good break you know or, or get a win you know and so to to finally get that I feel I feel some accomplishment I want it more now you know and uh, gives you some more drive to that you can do it and and hopefully we can pick us off some more wins and bigger wins in the supers. Well, I think there's many more to come for sure. And we'll get to some more of those uh, talking about some bigger races and stuff coming up too. But I wanted to ask you really before we got too far into this, you mentioned uh, about your family and, you know, being a family-oriented deal. So tell me a little bit more about your family and your and your history. I know uh, I know that uh, you're, you're, uh, you're a third-generation racer and, and your family's all raced around, you know, the years. And tell me a little bit more about their history and how you came to be and uh, got your start. We'll see. Um, my mom's dad, my grandfather, Jimmy Deason, he raced, and he actually owned Newberry Speedway in Newberry, South Carolina at one time. And uh, so he always raced, and then my mom, and uh, she raced at one point. Uh, my uncle that goes with me now to the races, Chris Deason, he, he used to race go-karts and all, and, and now he goes with us every weekend. He actually works for us, too, in our business. And then uh, my dad raced, and he actually got started racing some for my grandfather when he was when he was young, and and then he went on to race for different people and different rides. And uh, he always ran just like in the Carolinas and, and and a little bit in Georgia and stuff. He never we do more racing now than he ever did, and uh, but he's proud of it and proud of me. And and then we started racing go karts so back in '07 or '08. And uh, we ran those for three or four years, and then we went straight to crate late model racing. And uh, about three years ago, we started getting into the super stuff. Yeah, you uh, you started with a Longhorn, correct, whenever you started supers? Yeah, when we started super racing, we were in Longhorn cars, and we had had a lot of success in them crate racing there. And uh, then we, uh, we ran one year in capital cars, and then uh, we ended up getting in some of Barry's cars and uh, – I don't know. I felt a good fit with the Barry cars, and I like them. And uh, especially here lately, we've really got feel like we've got some things figured out and figured out that works for me. And and uh, you know, ever since late last year, we've showed lots of speed at different times. It's just been uh, a matter of getting our notebook built up at each place and what we need in different conditions. And and now it's starting to pay off. Yeah, no doubt. And it was since you mentioned that you uh, that you were in a Barry Wright race car this weekend. It was very cool to see Barry Wright in victory lane this weekend. He had a big smile on his face, and I know he was proud of you. And his other car won on Friday night with Zach Mitchell there. So it was a weekend sweep for Barry Wright in the state of South Carolina. That's right. You know, and that's that's what I told my dad. It actually kind of meant a lot to me that that him and Lance was ended up being there and was in in victory lane with us because you know. Uh, everybody knows who Barry Wright is, you know, and, uh, he's been in the sport a long time. And, and so, you know, what? he'll be in, I'll always have that, that he was in victory lane with me the first time I won a super late model race. Exactly. Exactly. Well, there's many more, uh, I think there's many more of those, uh, super late model wins to come. I mean, what, uh, so you're going to Cherokee speedway this weekend, or so you're going to stay on that ultimate tour. I noticed I'm looking at the point standings today. You're actually tied for second and like a four way tie there for second. So you've got a legitimate shot to win that, uh, points title this year. And I believe you're also a rookie of the year candidate as well. Correct me if I'm wrong, but yeah, you've got a legitimate shot to go for that title this year. What do you think about that? Yeah, we, uh, we've been on it since about mid last year, you know, towards the end of the year, we started going to some of the racetracks that they would be going to, to, to build our notebook and, and to get me some laps at some of those tracks. Cause, uh, 
I've been to a lot of racetracks and, and crate cars, and I've been to a lot of them in a super, but uh, some of the places I had either never been to, period, or either never been to in a super. And so uh, last year, kind of midway through the year, we started going to a few places that they were racing at just, just to get me some laps at them and uh, that way to kind of gear us up better. So we kind of knew going in about halfway through the year last year that this was our plan this year and, and kind of talked with our sponsors about it and uh, everybody was on board and and um, actually helping out more and, and things like that just to help us get us prepared and, and ready to do this deal. And, and you know, now we have we do have a real good shot. We're not too much out of the lead, and we're, like I said, tied for second. So uh, we have all the opportunity in the world right now. There's a lot of races left, but uh, we're going to do the best we can and try to get some more wins. There's a lot of races coming up that I feel like you look forward to. Uh, Cherokee Speedway coming up next week, I think. Uh... I think coming off your win there at Lancaster and going into Cherokee, I think you've got to feel pretty good going into this coming weekend, right? Absolutely. You know, uh, I know a lot of the, you do a lot of the similar things for the two places and, uh, and, and every car I've ever been in at, at Gaffney in a super race, I've, I've not always been the most consistent at Gaffney, but I've always had speed at Gaffney at one point or another, you know, and, uh, you know, we've qualified second or third several times and, uh, and won heat races at some of those bigger races and stuff like that. So uh, I, I, I think we got some good momentum going into this weekend as well, especially after winning this past and uh, just build on it and try to get it ready for Gaffney. Do you think that you'll uh, race any kind of differently, uh, have a different mentality going into some of these races, knowing you're uh, in second in the points, or will you just keep going for wins and let the points fall where they may? Well, uh, I actually had that conversation with somebody uh, Saturday, you know, and my biggest thing is I want to go to every race and, and try to win or be in contention to win. You know, if you win races or put yourself in position to win races by running second, uh, you know, the points handle their self. But, you know, some nights you got to back up and have a points night. You know, if you qualify bad, you got to take care of your stuff in the race and, and maybe not get out there and make a couple – moves that you probably would if you weren't points racing uh so so the way i approach points racing is is i, I go to win every race and then it you know during the night you kind of got to decide mentally like, all right i i just need to survive tonight and get as many points as i can or, or or not tear nothing else and just finish you know like at lauren's other night we got tore up uh, a lot of times if i wasn't points racing we'd have just called it a night you know and pulled in but you know we're points racing they got some. They got me bent up a little bit to go back out there, and then on the next caution, they done found somebody with a pair of cutters and and a saw, and they kind of cut the nose rack so I could steer better and and uh, give me a better chance to maybe pass a few more back. But uh, like I said, when you're points racing, you, the ultimate goal, no matter what, you got to do whatever you can to get as many points, even on a bad night. Exactly. Yeah, every lap counts out there on those kind of nights for sure. Well, it does, you know. And at the end of the year, you know it could come down to just one or two points, you know, and, and, and that can cost you if you pull in or something, you know, and, you know, there are some nights you're tore up so much you have to pull in, but on the nights that you can salvage something, you got to do the best you can. I want to ask you about one of your mentors. Uh, you've had Freddie Smith in the pits a lot with you the last couple of years helping you out. What does, what does it mean to have somebody like Freddie Smith in your corner? Man, Freddie is uh, kind of a lot like, you know, when you bring up the name Barry Wright, you know, like, Everybody that's in dirt racing, they know who Freddie Smith is. You know, he's won a lot of races. He's uh, had a lot of good rides. He's he's done this for a long time, and 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 he raced himself for a living for a long time. And uh, 
you know, he, he's always been a good family friend and been friends of my dad's. And, uh, I remember, uh, this kind of off topic, but I remember when I first started go-kart racing, I was, um, eight, eight or nine years old. And, uh, then Freddie used to always give me t-shirts or die cast cars, whatever, you know, and he'd all, everything he ever gave me, he signed. Well, I took him one year after our first year of go-kart racing. We went over to Dixie Speedway for the shootout. And he, uh, I took him a picture of one of our victory lane races. And um, I give it to him. And he got about halfway up his trailer, and he come back with it. And he said, there's only one thing that you did wrong. I'm going to give you a lesson. When you give somebody a picture, you should always sign it. And I'm, y'all want you to treat me no different. So I want you to sign this one for me. And uh, and talking to him, he still got that picture, you know, that I gave him years ago and uh, as a kid. And, you know, and he went with me a handful of races on that Ray Cook deal a couple years ago. And uh, he really taught me a lot, you know. And a lot of things, maybe not necessarily like on the race car, but a lot of the mental things and, and things as a driver you should do. And, you know, just a good coach. And, and Freddie is that, you know. He's done it so long. And <clears throat> he can look and um, – see things in the car that a lot of people don't, you know, and try to help, you know, and then also like the biggest thing that he's helped me with is just some of the mental side of things and, and the way you think and the way you drive and, and why you need to do certain things, you know, or, or, you know, or such as things as, you know, your points racing, you got to do the best you can with what you got. Yeah. He knows a thing or two about winning a points championship. He was the 1996 have a Tampa champion. And I grew up, man, Freddie Smith was my hero. I've got a picture of me, uh, I'll send I'll send it to you and you you'll you'll get a kick out of it. I was about five or six years old standing beside his race car, and I think it may have been about '96. I think it was that half a Tampa year when he won the championship, and it was at Cherokee Speedway in the infield. And I was standing there beside his car. I've still got that picture. I guess I should take it to Freddie one day and get him to sign it. And you talk about Freddie's signature; it's so legible and 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 authentic. Whenever he signs an autograph, like he uh, like he means it absolutely you know freddie's a really good guy and uh, he actually called me last night and i think he was just as happy about me winning a race than him or jeff winning a race you know and actually jeff run uh second or third over third. at langster yeah and uh heck even jeff was pr- happy for us you know he had proud a huge smile on his face i, I thought and, and that was the best i've seen jeff run in quite a while too he uh yeah he did a great job and he was happy to see you win i could really tell Absolutely. You know, and like I said, we've just been family friends with them for a long time. And uh, so like I said, and then Freddie, he's gone with me a bunch and, and I don't talk to him every week, but I try to call him at least once or twice a month and, and just talk racing with him. When I'm riding down the road, I just call him and just see what's going on and, and bug him about coming to see us sometime and go racing with us. Yeah. Tell next time you talk to him, tell him we'll, we'll talk to him on this podcast. We'll give him as much time as he wants to tell us some stories. Cause I know he's got them. Oh, wow. He's got him. I tell you, that was probably the the best thing, just hearing some of the stories, man, like from the 80s and 90s, you know, back in, I, I almost call some of that the golden era racing, you know, and, and I know you're a big, I know you're a big racing historian, you know, about all the older stuff too, you know, not just the new stuff and, and uh, just hearing some of those stories, man, like in, and somebody like him, they just, they just paint it like you can you can see it like you feel like you're there when they tell some of them stories, man. Some of the jokes and, and just stuff like that and, and hearing different things. It's awesome. 
Well, if you've got a good one you can think of to share or a good road story or something funny about Freddie that we may not realize, that'd be that'd be neat to tell. Shoot, I know. <laughs> trying to think. I know um I know he always talks a lot about how much his dad was a big influence in his racing and that's that's what always makes me feel good about coming from my family and my background of racing, you know, and you know, he talks about how him and his dad built cars and his dad built their own motors for a long time and you know, back then they did it all. You know, and every all racers did, you know, and uh, I think his dad at one time worked for one of the cup teams. I can't remember which hey, which one. Grassy Smith used to work for Holman Moody that built like okay. David Pearson's cars and Fred Lorenz yep. and all that. Yep, and uh and I know uh so like back then they had a lot of the NASCAR technology, you know, like as far as back then, you know, and like it's amazing that now we still get ideas and things from the NASCAR technology and stuff like that, you know, and uh so like I said, he man, I I've heard so many. I can't think of one off the top of my head just to, like, share, you know. Like, uh, I know that that Dixie one's always been one that's always stuck with me with the with the signing an autograph on something and to make sure you can read it, you know. And he says it don't do no good to sign something if they can't read whose name it is. That's exactly right. And I, I've always thought that uh, that he had a that he had a good-looking autograph for sure whenever he would sign something, he meant it. So, uh so yeah, that's cool. Well, moving on from Freddie Smith, and I, I appreciate you sharing some of those memories and stuff of him. I mean, it, and you mentioned me being a historian. Yeah, sometimes I wish I was about 10 years older. I could have seen some of those races that everybody talks about, but just have to go with what we got, you know? Absolutely. So you, uh, you've got on your uh, website there that your favorite racetrack is with Raceway, and I've got to say, man, that's one of my favorite racetracks to go to also. Uh, you won a big fast track race there one year in 2016, yep. I believe it was, with the with the yes, sir. belt and all that. So, tell me a little bit about that place uh, and what you like about it so much. I just love going up there. It's always a great racetrack. Uh, Fred and the whole family up there they're just they're just good people, and you know I enjoy racing. Period, and I'm glad we have all the racetracks we do. I, I always hate when we see one that gets closed down or closes down or don't make it you know and uh so i should say that but as far as just one that i love to go to and race it's up there at fred's place you know and, and i tell people all the time that right there on that sign where my name's on the board it's right next to austin Dillon's, and that's probably the only time in my life i'll have my name next to austin Dillon or another nascar driver on anything for winning that race <laughs> yeah well you never know you might uh you might hit the lottery tomorrow and just buy your way in absolutely that'd be about the only way but uh yeah. heck it, either way it'd get there right that's exactly right but I, I mean i don't want to say that either i think uh i think this super late model dirt racing and, and what you guys are doing what what this sport is and what it you know what it has become to me i enjoy it a heck of a lot more than nascar oh yeah and uh you know what man i i really believe that dirt racing's really on the uprise right now and you know, between things such as like your podcast or, or like the Dirt on Dirt guys or like uh, D-Swab's podcast, you know, things like that are just really growing our sport. And, uh, you know, things like this and all the social media, it's getting dirt stuff out there to more people that may not know about it, you know, and, and getting them interested and, and or maybe coming to the races the other night and seeing Clay Knight win a race. And this is the first one he's won, you know, and, 
it, it just it's good for our sport and uh, fortunately we have a lot of good sponsors and every one of us do that help us do all this and uh, it's getting their names out there more you know so when somebody sees me win this weekend and they they see one of my sponsors easy go or m&w they're makes them think about buying a golf cart or, or if they need equipment or something towed out of, out of or near around Columbia, they'll call M and W transport. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't think about buying any other golf cart brand than the easy go, just because I see them uh, support the motorsports as much as they do. Absolutely. Well, Clay, we're going to take a, just a quick break and we'll come back on the other side and we'll, uh, we'll chat a little more. How about that? Sounds good. Welcome back to the Forward Bike Podcast. We've got Clay Knight joining us on the Andy's Towing Hotline. Did you know 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on your car insurance, but it could also give you a chance to learn about someone in the motorsports or automotive industry? Join Ralph Shaheen for the GEICO 15-Minute Moto Show, available now on the Speedsport Podcast Network, NASCAR Digital Media, and your favorite podcast platforms. Well, Clay, before the break there, we were talking about golf carts and easy go and and, and you're exactly right, man. These sponsors mean a lot to the sport. And uh, I think that uh, I think that marketing value is something uh, that's pretty important in this sport. Uh, I think that we can get bigger brands into the sport. And I think uh, it's pretty neat to see that you've got one there like that. Like I said, I, I, I hope everybody can get some good sponsors, you know, and and, you know, I, I wish all the success to everybody, you know, and I, like I said, I've been fortunate. I've got some good people that are behind me. You know, and and Mike over there at Easy Go, and he's been good to me the last few years. And 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 like I said, everybody that's been on my car, they, they a lot of the people on my car have been on my car for multiple seasons now. You know, and you know they they all kind of become family, and and you build connections with them. And uh, you know, it's always great when some of them come to the races. You know, and you run good or or whatever. You know, and they they just get to hang out and support you. You know, and uh, like I said, it just. Uh, I just hope the dirt racing keeps growing like it is and all these races that are getting televised more like the Lucas races and a lot of the Ward Outlaws races, there's all of them are streamed or, or, or live, you know, and, uh, and more of the smaller super races and stuff are too. And, and it's just good for our sport. I think you it's know, great. Because, yeah. Go ahead. Absolutely. You know, because somebody that, you know, just because they're racing in, in, in Kentucky tonight, for instance, or something, you know, we can't make it because we're working or we're down here getting ready for our own race this weekend, but we can still tune in and watch, you know, and, uh, and I have more buddies now than ever that, that are watching races that I'm off at, you know, just because we're, we're gone racing and, and they've been got interested in it just going locally to the racetrack here. Yeah. It does. It doesn't take me much to, uh, to want to stay home and not travel, you know, six or eight hours to go watch a race anymore. But I'll tell you what, one that I do love going to, and I won't miss, and you've got it here on your, on your profile on your website too. It says your race that you would most like to win would be the dirt late model dream at Eldora Speedway. That's coming up about a month from now. Uh, you have any plans of going up there this year for the dream? We're going to see, we may, and it's hard to not want to this year with all with the money. Two that's races. Be yeah. Exactly. You know, so you're going to race for the big purse twice in one trip, you know, and so you're only have one set of expenses other than your tire bill, you know, and uh, so we, we've been kind of looking at it and we're going to look at how the schedule works with the ultimate stuff and, uh, you know, and where we're at in the points and stuff like that. Like it, it may be smarter for us to stay home and be prepared for next week, you know, and uh, 
so we're just going to see. But uh, if not, I feel confident that if we don't go this year, we'll definitely start going next year. Yeah. Have you ever raced at Eldora before, even in a crate car or anything? I have not. I missed it uh, by a year before we got to doing a bunch of the traveling with the crate stuff when they quit running the crate race up there, fast track. And then um, I have been up there probably four or five times with Madden. He, I used to go with him a bunch when I was a kid and growing up, and uh, I went to a lot of big races on weekends where he needed some extra help or some of those crown jewels and 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 kind of crewed and turned wrenches for him or done tires and and um, he's he's been another mentor I've had growing up and uh, like I said he's been a big part of my career too. I didn't really realize that you had a relationship with Chris Madden. What are some uh, what are a couple of key notes that he taught you over the years? Man, he's honestly taught me a lot about. Uh, shocks and springs and uh you know i have a great a great relationship with all the penske guys nick and aaron and uh he really got me hooked up with them back when he first got on the penskes and uh like um he's led me down a lot of the good avenues you know and and helped me whenever i've needed some help and you know i can call him tomorrow and, and ask him something that i might have on my mind and just get his opinion you know and i know he'll tell me the truth you know or, or what he what he really feels like it does for him and uh like i said back then i used to go with him i'd take weekends off and and just go with him for races and and learn about adjustments that he would make you know and and then i would go home and have confidence in making that adjustment because i know what i saw it did with him you know and then see what it does for me you know and uh, so i actually did that for a long time and and i still got one of his little cmr stickers on the on the door of my car you know and we're we're really good family friends with him and stephanie and avery and uh and the whole family, you know, I mean, like I said, they're, they're good people. And he's, he's been good to me over the years. And I've spent a lot of time learning from him as well. Absolutely. Well, Clay, um, anything else you want to bring up? I, I think that's about all the notes I've got on you tonight here. Well, I guess just the biggest thing, I just like to thank all of my sponsors and fans, Absolutely. you know, and, uh, like the, the, the sponsors, you know, and, <clears throat> just Mr. Sherwood, Carl and Wes with M and W towing. They're, they've been good just the last few years. Like I said, he, Mike with easy go, uh, Benji with all-star concrete. He just started helping us this year. So glad to get those guys a win. Uh, Max's cart racing, uh, Nick and Aaron with Penske shocks. They've been great to us. And all the guys in Earnhardt technologies group, uh, Barry Wright, race cars barry and lance they they helped me out a good bit you know and we bounce a lot of ideas off each other and uh town and country packing mr lamar and bkpr fk and rod ends and and clements performance you know and uh just my uncle and reese that works for us you know they go up and down the road with me and i couldn't do this if it wasn't for them and you know and i guess the biggest thanks i got to give is to my mom and dad and the rest of my family you know they've all supported me and you know i've I've raced for almost 15 years now, and and dang, I've missed a lot of family functions. I've missed proms. I've missed graduations. You know, like I've I've missed a lot in life just to race, and my family supported me to do that. You know, and uh, a lot of people don't realize that you know if you're going to race and you want to be successful, you've got to be dedicated to it. And uh, like I said, I've really dedicated a lot of my time and my my social life to racing. You know, and if you want to be successful at it, that's what you have to do. You've got to eat, sleep it, and breathe it, Clay. Well, one more thing I just I just thought about while you were naming those sponsors. I know SRI Performance has been a longtime supporter of yours as well. And, yes, and, sir. And I actually work for SRI, so 
um we've got a model car one of your one of your cars from a few years ago sitting in the sitting in the offices up there for everybody to see when they come in and just stuff like that that you that you do whenever you send a sponsor or a marketing partner uh, something like that that's a that's a gesture that goes a long way uh more than you even realize i think it really is you know and we try to do something special for our sponsors every year and even down to just the product sponsors you know and uh just because you know it i might not get nothing for free for somebody or they might not cut me a check at the end of the year or beginning of the year but they do even if i'm getting 10 or 20 percent off it's saving me money that i can use to race with you know and so we just feel like at the end of the year it's always good to send them all something to just show how much we appreciate it you know and uh like I said, every every year we've been trying to come up with different ideas. I'm sure in a couple of years we'll have to go back to one and and uh, restart the chain of what they were. But uh, like I said, dang, uh, they've uh, everybody that helps us out. We try to make sure to send everybody something. And uh, like I said, uh, Beef Tips up there at SRI, I got to know him several years ago, and and uh, he got me hooked up up there and. Now I deal with Kyle Pierce a bunch and uh, Zach Stroop up there, and mm-hmm. and I've actually met Greg Greg a few times, and uh, he's always been a nice guy to talk to and all. And, and uh, I remember when Amy was up there, um, she was always good to us too, you know, and and did a lot for us. Well, absolutely, all those guys you just mentioned are all great people, guys and gals, and uh, and uh, if you ever need anything else too, I'm uh, I'm always there as well. So. Clay, man, enjoyed talking to you tonight, man. I never uh, really have talked to you much and got to know you, but I feel like I know you now, and, uh, you know, we'll see you in the future, and hopefully this weekend at Cherokee Speedway, I think that's where I'm going to be headed this weekend. I'll stop by and say hi. Absolutely. We'd appreciate that, you know, meet you face-to-face. And uh, like I said, I appreciate you guys having me on. And uh, like I said, this this is big for me. You know, I'm I'm a small guy trying to make it, and – trying to get some more exposure and it gives me some exposure it gives my sponsor some exposure and uh like i said that's that's what we do this for you know and they can get a return and we do too you know and i appreciate you having me on man absolutely thank you thank you kyle as we approach the 38th anniversary of one of the darkest days in dirt late model history i wanted to remember and relive the history and legend of jim dunn when the Roseville, Ohio native showed up to Pennsboro Speedway in 1981 for the inaugural Dirt Track World Championship, he thought that maybe that could be the last race of his career. But whenever he transferred to the feature out of a B-Main and went on to win the unprecedented $30,000 winner's payday, he became a legend. Dunn won the Dirt Track World Championship in a heroic come-from-behind effort. Jim Dunn, he had trouble in qualifying and the heat races and lined up 12th in the 20-car consolation race. He charged through the field to take the consolation win, earning $100 for his efforts. Dunn started 23rd on the field in the 100-lap feature at Pennsboro that day with all the top cars in front of him. He didn't stand much of a chance in the race. Jim Dunn worked his way through the field and charged into the top 10 by the 37th lap and was in 8th place when the field had a halfway break for refueling on lap 51. When the inaugural Dirt Track World Championship got back underway after the halfway break, Dunn was unstoppable zipping through the field, picking off the heavy favorites one by one, taking the lead with 13 laps to go. Dunn won the race by 5.9 seconds over Rodney Combs in front of a packed hillside in Pennsboro, West Virginia. Dunn's win was more than promoter Carl Short could ask for. 
Word quickly spread that this big dollar race was won by a then relatively low budget racer, so maybe, just maybe, anyone had a chance to win in future years in the DTWC. Jim Dunn's racing career lived on, and he instantly became a legend. He had made the D1RT race car iconic and famous that day in Pennsboro. Jim Dunn went on to enter several of Dirt Late Model's marquee events and joined quite a few of Robert Smalley's NDRA Tour races. Sadly, though... On Sunday, May 8th, 1983, the darkest day in the history of Dirt Lake Model Racing struck in Paducah, Kentucky. It was the second race of the 1983 NDRA season at Paducah Speedway in Kentucky. The total SEAL 100 was scheduled to go 100 laps that night, but on lap 42, tragedy struck. Blinded by dust from a poorly conditioned racetrack, Dunn ran full steam into a pileup. Fuel tanks exploded, and Dunn was knocked unconscious. Dunn passed away in the fiery incident. Jack Boggs was pulled from the wreckage and in serious condition. Paul George received minor foot injuries. It was the first fatality on the NDRA circuit. Eyewitnesses differ on the exact cause of the crash due to the heavy dust conditions that prevailed that afternoon. But apparently Jack Boggs, who was running third behind leaders Doug Kenimer and Tom Helfrich, spun, entering turn three, when the pack of cars running close behind all piled into the fuel cell from Rodney Combs' car, which was torn out in the mishap and struck by one or more cars. The remainder of the field was all blinded by the setting sun when they slammed full bore into the wreckage and explosion erupted. Jim Dunn was slumped over the wheel, apparently knocked unconscious inside his burning car, while other drivers scrambled to safety. All of the available firefighting equipment was used on the fire, and the blaze was still out of control. The Paducah Fire Department was called to extinguish the flames. They lifted the lifeless body of Jim Dunn out of the car. Jack Boggs, who wound up just ahead of the fire, was also seriously injured. Boggs was transported to the hospital where he was diagnosed with having a, con a concussion. The race was red flagged to a halt on lap 42 and never restarted. Doug Kenimer was paid for scoring his first NDRA victory. Tom Helfrich was scored second and third went to Jack Boggs. Rodney Combs and Jeff Purvis were the fourth and fifth place finishers jim dunn was scored with an eighth place finish that day the ndra series canceled the next race so that the drivers could attend the funeral and the ndra did not pick up action until june many drivers including freddie smith and others were very shaken up by what they had witnessed that day at paducah many drivers said that they would never race again but most continued on a few weeks later as the May 7th anniversary of the death of Jim Dunn approaches, may we never forget the dangers of this sport that we all love, and may we never let something like this happen again. Drivers, if you're listening to this podcast, please make sure you are safe when you go out there on the racetrack. Please make sure you have the correct safety equipment and your fire suppression system is up to date and all of your safety equipment meets full SFI standards. Jim Dunn was inducted into the National Dirt Late Model Hall of Fame in the inaugural class in 2001. He will be forever remembered as the driver who won the very first Dirt Track World Championship, and he will be forever enshrined on the back of that t-shirt every year. And from the archives of a National Speed Sport News article from back in the 80s, after Dirt Late Model star Jim Dunn died in a fiery crash at Paducah International Raceway, on May 8, 1983, Robert Smalley, president of the National Dirt Racing Association, spearheaded an effort to improve safety. What we've got today because of certain track owners refusing to establish minimum weights is a dangerous situation, Smalley said. Even on my circuit, I've got death traps meeting a weight limit by carrying 400 pounds of lead. 
Smalley organized meetings for chassis builders and parts manufacturers that resulted in things such as the elimination of electronic fuel pumps and the standardization of fuel cell specifications. He was also eventually successful in convincing many track operators to implement a common weight rule. Credit goes out to Greg Fielden for his extensive research in this book, The Greatest Show on Dirt, The Complete History of the NDRA, and also credit to the late, great Doc Lehman and his column, The Legend of Jim Dunn, found online at dirtfans.com for the research that it took to put this together. Another episode of the Forward Bike Podcast is in the books on the Speed Sport Podcast Network and NASCAR Digital Media. I'm Kyle Armstrong. We'll see you next week.